welcome back to Getting to the Top, where I interview transformational leaders about their leadership journey in hopes that you will either learn something that helps you in your journey or it will inspire you to follow in their footsteps. Today, I have with me the absolutely remarkable and wonderful Ingrid Emmons. Ingrid is the VP of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, as well as Employee Experience for Aviana Healthcare a nationwide healthcare organization based in the United States. Uh, Ingrid is originally from Jamaica, and I'm also going to ask her to, to introduce herself because I think um, this is going to be really interesting. Ingrid. Hi, Raquel. Thank you so much for having me, and it's awesome um, to have all your listeners tune in today. So as Raquel mentioned, I'm Jamaican. No matter where you live for no matter how long you live there, you're always Jamaican, right? You always think about home first. But I have lived in the U.S. for some time, um, came here to go to university, and I've had the pleasure of having many roles within the HR space, which I think really differentiates my role um, in terms of what I bring to the table. And so currently, as Raquel mentioned, I lead diversity, equity, and inclusion, as well as employee experience for Aviano. And I can tell you that that role has really morphed over time, which is one of the things that's most exciting about it, because some people lead DEI with a D for, for diversity. I lead DEI with an I for inclusion, which is why employee experience is tethered from my standpoint to DE&I, because it's all about the touch points. At every point in the employee journey, from when you place a job type, uh, sorry, you place a um, requisition on Monster or Indeed, what language are you using? Does it feel welcoming? When you have the conversation, are we using pronouns? Does this feel like a safe place to work? You join us, what does onboarding look like? Do we recognize the nuances? Do we understand what it takes to develop this sense of belonging? And I think that although some DEI roles and employee experience roles are new, the reality is that we've been doing this a long time. Right, mm -hmm. we've just called it different things. Yeah. And we started to hone our craft as HR professionals to really be able to understand what you want, right? What you're looking for because you spend way too much time at work for this to not be a fulfilling experience. Yeah, and considering that you're doing this, you know, just, at, you know, in the, in the midst of COVID, wherever you think we are in, in trajectory, in healthcare, when people are already burned out, They've been through so much. They've, they've experienced something that, you know, no one alive had experienced before. And now looking at employment through a very, very different lens, how do you sort of, you know, how do you use HR to help uplift them and help them to be their best selves at work? Yes, it's so interesting because of the evolution, right? So what happened with COVID was that many people who were in roles where they could work from home went home. And we mm -hmm. heard that they were really enjoying being home, spending time with family. And then as time progressed, they said, this is great, but I also want opportunities to be able to connect. And mm -hmm. this is where you create these connection groups around shared identities and shared interests. And what does that look like? So one of the things that we have, for example, is a woman employee resource group and where we speak about challenges related to all kinds of things. How do we negotiate? 
how, how do we become courageous leaders? You know, just a wide range of topics. But employees right now, they want an opportunity, yes, to spend time with their families, but also to connect with people at work over issues that are not necessarily considered work-related issues in a traditional manner. And so we're seeing that evolution takes place. But ultimately, ultimately, what you find is that everybody is driving toward this sense of belonging, which is, mm. I feel valued, so I add value. That's the algorithm. It's just really not that complicated. What we have to do is we have to unpack what it takes for you to feel valued. And we have to be very clear around how you add value and be able to connect that with the purpose. People want to know that the work that they do matters. And so continuous connection to that purpose is key. Yeah, oh my gosh, I love that. And you know, I mean, this is, this is such an important role in, in an incredibly huge market. And here you are, this young woman from Jamaica, from this little island in the Caribbean, you know, to us Caribbean people, Jamaica is huge because wherever you go, everybody thinks Jamaica is the entire Caribbean. But in the, in the landscape of the world, it's quite small. And for you to have this extraordinary influence in such a huge market, does it intimidate you at times or are you, you're, you're well over that in, in, your, in your development as a professional? Yes, I mean, it's so interesting. Well, first of all, thank you for calling me young. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> And, and no ages in here though. <laughs> and second of all, um, you know, one of the things that I love about us coming from the Caribbean is it gives us a different lens. And I think yeah. that that lens is magical. I think yeah. it's magical because the way that we view the world is very different because of our experiences. We are compassionate enough and empathetic enough to be able to understand that their experiences and other people's experiences don't mirror ours. Mm -hmm. But we also have a broader lens through which we view the world, which I think is really important. So it's a gift. From my yeah. standpoint, it's a gift to have a different background. And yeah. one of the things that I speak to is our room with a view. And the idea that, you know, we're checked into various floors, if you envision a hotel, based mm -hmm. on our circumstances. So maybe that's because we had a two-parent household, or maybe because we had, the, um, you know, we were fortunate enough to access a college degree. And so we have a particular room from the view that we occupy. And mm -hmm. so what takes work is for us to get off of our floor and for us to check ourselves into other rooms, right? Yeah. And for us to pull people on our teams who occupy every room, because that's really yeah. where the innovation happens. That's where yeah. it all comes together. And that's mm -hmm. what belonging is again. It's really about pulling people from different floors who have different views from their rooms and then working to figure out how you unlock that and release that to be innovative in the business. That that's, is so for. that's tremendous because, I mean, I think when you think about things like customer service, you know, if you could only have the view from your room, you're only delivering that experience to somebody with that experience because that's all you know and that's all you've seen. You're not thinking about somebody at the higher floor, somebody at the lower floor, or somebody who's looking at the other side of the, the building. And so unless you have that kind, I, I love that description. I feel like maybe for the first time, I really get it through that description. Love it. So how did you start when you were... A little girl, what did you think you were going to be? <laughs> I'm not still a little girl, Raquel. Oh. 
No, I, um, so I would say that I hopped into HR. One of the things that I love about HR, and I say this to people all the time, especially those who are thinking about their career path is HR is marketing, HR is finance, HR is legal, right? HR is about people. HR is, it encompasses all spaces. That's what I love about HR. And so my father is one of these, you know, traditional Caribbean fathers. And he said, you know, you can study accounting, you can study law and you can study medicine. Otherwise, see ya. And so what <laughs> happened was um, I was very numbers based and analytical in terms of my undergraduate studies. And what that allowed me to do is to view HR through a different lens. And so I was offered an opportunity that was really more of an internship. And then through that internship, I discovered my love of HR. And it's one of these things where you get opportunities to work on projects. And sometimes we think, oh, I just don't have bandwidth or I don't have capacity to do anything else. And I will tell you that my entire career journey has been because I've worked on projects outside of my defined scope of responsibility. And that mm -hmm. gave me exposure to another area. So I moved from uh, entry-level HR type role through that internship, moved into um, payroll accounting, moved from there into benefits analysis, moved from there into compensation, moved from there into HR operations, all by developing relationships within the organization, taking risks and working on things that are considered above and beyond your role and then discovering your love for it. Yeah. You know, so I think that that's really important. And one of the things that I read recently, which I absolutely love is follow the effort, not the passion. Mm. What do you do when no one is paying you for it? What do you do when mm. you are absolutely depleted? You've worked a 60 hour work week and you still want to do that. Mm. That is the thing. Follow the effort, not the passion. That's the thing that fires you up. That's the thing that you get out of bed for. That, that you are wonderful. never too tired to work on. Okay. <laughs> I need to be a, a professional sleep study. <laughs> but, but so if, 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 if somebody asked you at five or six, what did you say then that you wanted to be? Oh, I was going to be a pilot. Ah, it's not too late, you know. I, I think you'd be an amazing pilot. <laughs> what were you saying? I said, I think you'd be an amazing pilot. I don't think so. I'm really <laughs> glad I saved that profession. I don't know. <laughs> I just saw them in their uniforms. I was like, can you imagine if I had a female version of that uniform? I would be so sharp. I would redo <laughs> this. Completely focused on all the wrong things. <laughs> <laughs> and if you haven't guessed yet, she's absolutely a fashion icon. She's certainly... Whenever I think about, you know what, how do I want to look in this moment? I was like, what would Ingrid wear? Oh, but honestly, so honestly, <laughs> what would Ingrid wear? Because she's always, always absolutely effortlessly fabulous. And well, I don't know if there's actually no effort behind it, but certainly it looks like, oh my God, I'm just accidentally stunning and fabulous. Are, as you are <laughs> as well. <laughs> so, so, so now you've gone through and you're, you're following the effort through your career you're moving from role to role, you're learning new things. Um, how do you, what, what do you do when you are, when you hit a roadblock? Because it, it feels as though it was just like, you know, yes, I love doing this, but, but HR is tough. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting because I just thought about this the other day. Um, 
Erica, who is the Dean of Wharton, and she's the first mm -hmm. Black female Dean, and she's fabulous, Erica James. Mm -hmm. And she just wrote an article about what do you do when there's no good answer, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes there's just no good answer. And the first thing I would say is always trust your instincts and ask mm -hmm. yourself, is there a decision to be made in the moment? Because what happens is that we're closers. We want to yeah. get things done. And so sometimes yeah. we're rushing to make a decision when actually there is no decision to make in the moment. And mm. then if you are going to make the decision, really to think through the lens of the other person and the implications associated with them and try to project what that's going to look like and what that's going to feel like and then have that conversation with them in advance, yeah. right? Because what happens at the end of the day is it's all about building an environment of trust and psychological yeah. safety and so if I trust you whether you're my colleague or you're my boss or you're my direct report and I have to have a difficult conversation with you I'm vested because I know you're vested because yeah. we all have to have those difficult conversations so yeah. I would say to recap the question is is there any is there the right answer the one that's clear if there yeah. is no right answer, do we have to make a decision right now? And if yeah. we do have to make a decision right now, really try to map up what the implications are going to be for the person who's going to, or people who are going to be impacted and have that advanced discussion with them. Yeah, yeah. And, and to make sure, you know, to treat people like adults. And you've also, I mean, you've worked in unionized environments, which, which can be, can be really tricky, you know, and you talk about HR is legal, HR is, is all of these things and and so what have you what have you been able to rely on you know in your in your basket of, of skills to, to help you in times when you're having to go to a different room in this look through a different view is it just you know seeing yourself in their position is it understanding what their wants and needs are how do you navigate that space yeah no great question i think um over time, because again, we evolve as professionals as well, and we understand the skills to hone and what we need to prioritize. And it goes back to looking at things through this lens of cultural humility, which mm -hmm. is we don't know, right? We don't know, never be afraid to ask, right? And I, I'm of the firm opinion that we have to be ready for change at all times. We have to be ready for new information. And one of the things that I speak to is the fact that there is a difference between knowledge and belief. And belief means you take in new information, but you distort that new information based on your existing beliefs, based on the view from the room that I occupy. Versus mm -hmm. knowledge means you're ready for new information. So when that new information comes in, you process it differently. And so I would say to ask yourself to do some introspection around whether you're positioned for knowledge or for belief and to challenge yourself accordingly is really important. And then to practice cultural humility, which is always to say, I don't know everything, right? Yeah. Let's figure this out together. Yeah. And so I'm sure you're asked often to sort of mentor, you know, especially young women who are starting out on their career and trying to figure out what to do. Apart from sort of following the effort, as, a, as an HR professional, having seen everything at the highest levels, at the lowest levels, how you come into an organization, what are some of the, what advice would you give to people either starting out on their careers or trying to, to advance their careers and, and, or feeling stuck? 
because I feel like a lot of times, um, especially in this diversity, inclusion and equity space, you get stuck somewhere and you're like, I don't know how to move from where I am to the next level. Yeah, so I think a couple of things, right? It really depends on the environment that you're in. The first thing that I would say is that if you have a choice between being 100% remote and being in an office, it's important that you show up. It's important mm. that you're present because early on in your career, people don't know you and they won't think of you and give you opportunities unless yeah. they see you. And so there is yeah. a big thing around proximity bias, which is something that if you're early in your career, you definitely need to be thinking about. And don't yeah. think about it as an option. So I can stay home four days a week. Is that the right thing to do for you, right? Yeah. Um, the yeah. other thing I would say is that it's very difficult when you're approached and you're asked to mentor someone that you don't already have a relationship with. So mm -hmm. why don't you work to cultivate the relationship and the connection and then let the mentorship organically come mm. out of that relationship because it's odd and it feels strange if you don't have yeah. a relationship and the other thing is that people are so busy you know that you're extremely busy and um when you say to them can you be my mentor it feels like a heavy lift yeah but the is that what you want is guidance and support and so yeah. if you cultivate that relationship you don't necessarily need to formalize the title yeah and what it looks yeah. like and then you're far more likely right to get more of that person's time but when yeah. they feel like I have to make a commitment to you and now yeah. I have an obligation then they start to worry about bandwidth yeah you know there was somebody who was talking about this mentorship thing and uh, I can't remember who it was and I don't want to attribute it to the wrong person but she was talking about listen when you come to me don't don't be that sort of empty vessel come to me with a specific ask like the question that I, that I have is X versus mentor me. Tell me what to do. You know what I mean? So understand what is the ch specific challenge that you are facing and what, is, what do you think the help you need with that is? And so that you create a coaching opportunity to help you figure out what you really want to do versus coming to somebody just like mentor me, you know? Yeah, and I would say um, coaching and mentorship is a little bit different because mentorship mm -hmm. is longer term, you know, whereas coaching is episodic, mm -hmm. right? So it's in the moment, this is what I need. So I would think yeah. about that differently. Okay, um, and I would good. also think that um, just generally, you know, whether we're being mentored or not, we want to be solution focused, yeah. right? I expect people on my team to be solution focused. So Ingrid, I identified that problem. Awesome. Okay. What are some alternatives around driving to resolution? And so whether yeah. you're being mentored or not to have that mindset, I think is really important. And it's not about getting it right. Right. Yeah. But it's not about getting it right. It's really just about thinking through what those alternatives could be and thinking through the implications, again, circling back to our discussion earlier around implementing those strategies. Well, that's a, good, that, that's a, huge, a wonderful segue into my next question. What kind of leader are you? Yeah, so I'm very collaborative. I will tell you that's one of the hardest things with COVID because I thought that working remote would be so lonely, you know, and how do you really connect? But what I found is that you can use the various platforms to connect, whether it's Teams or Slack or, you know, being mm -hmm. on Zoom. Um, and so you have to be deliberate 
because I love working together. I am the kind of leader where we would all come into a conference room and we would figure out what the strategy needed to look like, what it needed to, you know, what the steps were required in order to do execution. I also learn from my team, right, which I think is really important. So I think that the process definitely has to be a two-way street. Um, and then I'm innovative. So I think it's important for us to really understand how we keep ourselves fresh, how we deliver things differently. I think that's a hat that I'm always wearing. And it's important from my standpoint that the team has that same kind of passion and excitement. I think that that's, that's key. Um, I'm flexible because I think that you bring your whole self to work. And I don't believe in balance. I believe in integration because sometimes work is going to be 70% and life is going to be 30. And sometimes something happens and life is 70 and work is 30. So it's really about having a mindset around integration for people on my team and for myself. And so I think to share yourself and be a vulnerable, humble leader is really important so that people get to know the real you. Okay. And then what are you, I love that, but what, what are you working on? Is there anything that you're working progress on? Um, absolutely. So I think I have to think about that for just a moment. I like to boil the ocean. So, um, <laughs> you know, like what are all these new things, especially in my space, because it's such an exciting space because it's, it's relatively new and I have amazing support and visibility from my leaders. So I don't mm -hmm. feel like there's anything that I could suggest that they wouldn't support. You right. know, so that makes it difficult in order for you to really hone the deliverables that you want to work on. So you have to really spend some time valuing what the ROI is going to be if you're going to make that investment. Um, and so that's the challenge for me is to really hone that list and to, to determine what the ROI is in a very quantitative rather than emotional way. <laughs> <laughs> we can do everything. But what about that? But what about that? So let's try that. But um, but I love it. Yeah. I'm, what I'm a great problem that. to have. <laughs> and you, absolutely, absolutely. And how did you build that that level of of trust and and confidence within your ability? So so you know how do you get to that point where much of what you suggest they are willing to go with? Is it that you proved yourself over time? I know you've worked with some of the biggest brands globally. You know. Um, SunTrust, Sandals, Lime, now, now in healthcare, you know, how do you, is it that you came in with this pedigree or was it more that, you know, you hit the ground running when you started and so they, they said, hey, we believe in this, in this person. Yeah, I think you definitely need to have some quick wins early. Mm -hmm. um, and so one of the challenges is when you try to take on an initiative or a project that really will not see any returns for an extended mm -hmm. period of time, which is fine, too, to have running in the background and in parallel, but you need mm -hmm. to have some visible wins. And at the end of the day, Raquel, you know this, this is all about whether or not you make your leader look good. That's really important, mm -hmm. right? And that happens at every level. So yeah. think about how your leader is measured. Think about prioritizing deliverables on that basis and also be ready with your elevator pitch, right? Mm. Again, I'll circle back to what I said about HR. We're everything, right? So <laughs> marketing, finance, legal, compliance, people-centered. And mm -hmm. so you have to be able to sell your ideas and you have to be able to help 
your leaders sell those ideas and then most importantly for them to be able to articulate the wins in a moment and they get that yeah. they get that yeah. from you. and so how did you how did you develop that skill set was it just this is natural to you that you know you you sell an idea and you understand or do you do you sort of sit down and have a process that says these are the kpis of the organization this is what we are going towards and therefore in order for my leader to win this is how i would have to to help deliver that yeah so i think that um again it's not nature versus nurture i think is always both and so i'm sure mm -hmm. that there's some aspect of my skill set that comes from nature in terms of my natural inclinations but mm -hmm. i think that over time you know just like you you hone your craft and yeah. To be honest, you know, failing fast teaches you a lot, right? That's yeah. why wisdom and experience matters, because, you know, you've been down that rabbit hole. You've tried it that way before. It hasn't been successful. But then if you practice humility, as I mentioned before, you can say, you know what? I did it this way. I know it doesn't work. And on that basis, I'm recommending that this is the approach. But what I would always say is understand what matters to the organization, what mm. are they measuring? For me and my role, it's about impact. I could create mm. the best programming in the world. If two people come, I haven't been successful, right? Mm. So how do I put my tentacles out in the organization to have the greatest reach and the greatest impact? And everything I do is on that basis. Mm. You know, and for other organizations looking to have more diversity, equity, and inclusion, how do you... Yes, it's about how you write the ads and, and, and where you put the ad. But what, what advice would you give to them? Because I feel like, you know, we've been, like you said, we've been talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion forever in, in different forms. And yet we're still not there in terms of, of having the level of, of diversity, at, certainly at the leadership level across Fortune 500 companies, certainly not at the leadership level anywhere. So what, what, are, what aren't we doing? Yeah, so I think that different organizations are in different stages, right, as it relates to the evolution. So companies that are larger and in North America are, you know, far more progressed were two to three years out with some of these functions, some even longer. Um, within the Caribbean, I think the challenge that we've had traditionally is that we think about diversity, equity, and inclusion as a race. And in some instances, we may define it as race and gender. And then we say we come from an island where we're homogenous, right? So is this really relevant to me? And one of the things to really unpack is that there are many dimensions of diversity or what I like yeah. to say, dimensions of difference. And so if we think mm. about it from that standpoint, we have age as a dimension. We have disability, whether developmental or physical. We have race. We have gender. We have immigrant status. We have socioeconomic status, right? Mm -hmm. We have education level. We have our own marital status. What was the marital status of our parents? All of these dimensions of difference, right, intersect to determine who we are. So if we broaden the scope, around how we think about diversity, equity, and, and inclusion within the Caribbean region, then we'll recognize we all have these dimensions of difference as well. And then mm -hmm. we'll think about it differently, right? And then we'll also, we'll stop and we'll think about the fact that when we do bring people from different floors, right, onto our teams, if you create that sense of belonging where they feel valued so that they can add value, think about some of the ideas that have been unlocked 
because they're excited about mm -hmm. being a part of our team where they feel heard. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you start to think about the fact that we really do have DEI. We just don't call it DEI. And so if we put some language around it and we're intentional about it and we say we do want people from different backgrounds to be on our teams, but we're also going to create channels that allows them to contribute right, because yeah. they do feel valued, then the ideas will just come pouring in. At the end of the day, the person who's on the ground doing the job, interacting with the customer, right, that's a person who really understands what fix is needed, but what yeah. space are we creating on our teams to be able to get that feedback? And once you yeah. get the feedback, people want to know you are going to do something with it. It comes About it all the way around right so yeah. I think that it's because we define DEI in a very narrow way within the Caribbean obviously not everybody but most most organizations and if we think about it as dimensions of difference and we consider the fact that people from the varying backgrounds have great contributions to make and how we create a safe space for them to make those contributions then it will look and feel differently and I believe that it will start to be embraced. Love it, love it, love it. Really, really extraordinary. All right. And so I know that you, I, I, I want you to provide a little demographic information. You are one of three children. You, you know, you have children of your own just to give people a sense. Listen, you had a lot to deal with in your, you know, both in coming up and having to find your own space and then um, in, in raising these children while being a, a career professional. Yeah, absolutely. So I've always worked. That's that's all I know. That's my programming and my view from the room <laughs> um, based on what I was exposed to. But I do have three children. So my oldest daughter, oh, believe it or not, is 50. Um, and she's a lawyer. I mean, not, not 50, 30. Oh, my gosh. 30. <laughs> I'm 50. And she's a lawyer. Um, and my son is in the automotive industry field. He's 26. And then my youngest daughter is 20 and she is a sophomore in university. And, um, you know, I am amazed at how children observe you, right? Yeah. And they really incorporate every aspect of who you are into the lens that they view the world through, which is phenomenal. Like it's so funny, my son dated someone a few years back and he said to me, mom, I think she's moving. I picked him up from her house and I said, why? He said, because she doesn't have a picture of her family covering every square inch of the wall like we do. I said, no, babe, some people like the color of their paint, you know, so... <laughs> But that was his benchmark because I've yeah. some pictures of them everywhere. And so he thought <laughs> this child was getting up and moving the next day. <laughs> um, so they really observe you. And so sometimes, you know, and then your daughters, you wearing that shirt, really? Um, but in the, in the good ways, you know, as well, yeah. in terms yeah. of um, knowing it's possible. And again, I know I don't talk about work-life balance with them. I speak to integration. They see me work hard and they see me play hard. And the only thing that I would say to them is approach life in a fearless way, take risks and fail fast because that is the best journey to be on. That's how you move at the fastest possible traje trajectory and do not be afraid do not be afraid to start over, yeah. right? There's, a, there's yeah. a lot of gold in starting over because you're bringing your wisdom and your experience, but you have a refreshed lens. Yeah. No, that's great. That's great. Yeah, I think 
I think sometimes, you know, I think if if you ask me if I would start over, I always say to people, if I started over, and the, the, if you follow the effort, I would be a chef. But I'm just like, I've invested so much time in doing what I'm doing. Like, I can't start over and be a chef. So if you were to start all over, would you go back and be a pilot or would you be something else? I would be an interior designer for sure. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> if I could start over, that's exactly what I would do. But what I would also tell you is we recognize as we get older as well that there is no either or. It's yeah. both and. And yeah. so really, like the last weekend, I went to a design house um, and it was amazing you know what I mean <laughs> like how I spend my time yes. um, when you're thinking about the effort is around mm-hmm. the things that I love yes so I think that so you could create you could do chef parties you know there's yes. an opportunity to be able oh, to I do. incorporate <laughs> yeah exactly do. so it's not a it's not an either or because to me yes. that's excitement around yes. our lives like it's a mosaic Right. Yes. So it's all about how we plug in all the pieces of all the things that we love. And then Absolutely. as you get older, you're like, oh, I don't like that piece. That's okay. <laughs> I don't all, need yeah. to defend it. Right. So yeah. that's the magic of this, this phase and stage is the mosaic. Yes. Yes. Well, oh, wonderful. Wonderful to be having this conversation with you. And I feel like I learned so much, you know, about showing up and being visible and cultural humility and and being, you know, looking through, looking through your window and being willing to go to other rooms with a view and figuring out, you know, how you, you, it's not about balance. I love that one. It's not about balance. It's about, you know, integration. So sometimes it's 70, sometimes it's 30 and, and being willing to sort of flex and flow with that. And then, then also, you know, thinking about diversity in, in the continuum that it is. And how do we get the the best ideas and creating spaces for for the best ideas to come to come through? And we talk a lot about trust and and how you create trust and how you you build upon trust and how you use trust. And so you know, talking about trust in this context is really good as well. And then thinking about mentorship and and um, coaching in different ways. One being an incident based, and the other one being more sort of long term. And looking at that from a relationship building standpoint before you you um before you sort of get into well this is what I need and I think we we normally refer to that as building um digging your well before you need the water so you know that you're 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 investing your time in in what your needs are but I see why you have done the phenomenal things that you've done I think you're a wealth of information a wealth of knowledge and I think it's always very innovative and very fresh I think it's it's because you have that that eye for for design and uh, that flair for for the visual that makes you especially innovative. I think you see things through a completely different lens. And I really appreciate you spending some time with us, especially this hour. Um, so thank you so much. And if you are not already subscribed to Getting to the Top, where we interview these transformational leaders about their leadership journey and the things that they've done and the advice that they have for us, and it doesn't inspire you to at least be on your path to leadership or to, to if you feel like you are not necessarily the candidate who should be doing something, disabuse yourself of that notion and realize that we need more diversity at the top and it very well could be you. So if you haven't already subscribed, please do and join us next time on Getting to the Top where I interview another transformational leader. Thank you so much, Ingrid.
Thank you. It was my pleasure.